Welcome to the Emerald City Sportscast. Wilson, it is he throws deep downfield. It's going to be caught by Metcalf for the touchdown. Hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. Here's the drive deep to left. He has done it again. Wow. Kyle Lewis, three games, three home runs. Mariners have a five-two. Brought to you by Hollywood and Vines Recording Studio. World-class audio recording right in the heart of the Woodenville Winery District. Wide receivers to either side. Russell takes the snap, drops back. He's going to throw down the middle. He's got a man. The ball is caught. Game over, it baby. Is a touchdown. The game is over. The Seahawks are going back to the Super Bowl. And now, broadcasting live from the Dan Cave Studios, here's your host, Dan Viennes. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Emerald City Sportscast and the beginning of the NFL season. Does that sound strange? I mean, today officially is the start of the league year in the NFL. Of course, uh, moves have been made since Monday, the legal tampering period. I think that's so stupid. They should just get rid of it. Um, Players have been agreeing to deals. Uh, Not many of them have been with the Seattle Seahawks. We'll get into that in just a few minutes. Um, Lots to talk about today. Almost all of it football. because this is a crucial offseason for the Seahawks, we know that. Let's get into some headlines, and we'll get into that right away because there is some big news regarding the Seahawks today. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. And now, here's today's headlines, brought to you by FreeBets, the newest online sports betting comparison site Check them out at freebets.us. According to Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network this morning, Seahawks general manager John Schneider and Bears general manager Ryan Pace met in person in Fargo, North Dakota a few days ago to discuss what else? A potential Russell Wilson trade. According to Rappaport, during this in-person meeting, Pace made an offer or multiple offers to Schneider that were at least interesting enough for the Seahawks to consider. The team took Monday night to sleep on it and then informed the Bears yesterday they would not be trading Wilson, at least not to them, at least not now. The report states it was Pete Carroll who was the driving force behind that decision, ultimately, that he isn't interested in a rebuild at this stage of his career and that he was the one that vetoed the deal which reportedly included at least multiple first-round draft picks. The Bears then quickly pivoted yesterday and signed Andy Dalton to be their starter. Questions abound. Did Schneider want to do the deal? Is there another team that could offer the Seahawks more, including a better path to Wilson's successor? What does this mean for the team moving forward? And what do they do now to placate Wilson and his demands and also keep pace with an already good and rapidly improving division around them. We'll get to all of that in a bit. Meanwhile, the Seahawks haven't just sat idly by since free agency began Monday. The team reportedly signed defensive tackle Puna Ford to a new two-year deal. Ford was a restricted free agent, and the team would have had to place a tender on him by today. 
but instead they locked the big fella in for two more years. Then they inked former 49ers cornerback Akello Weatherspoon to a one-year deal for a just-breaking news Guaranteed, fully guaranteed, $4 million for that one year. We'll break down that move a little bit later on. Reports also indicate running back Leonard Fournette currently deciding between offers to return to Tampa or sign with New England or Seattle. Maybe we'll get a decision on Fournette today. But the biggest news is what has not happened, especially in light of today's news that Wilson is staying put. The Seahawks reportedly swung and missed on top-end guards Kevin Zeitler and Joe Thune Monday and haven't made any other moves to address the offensive line since. Meanwhile, in baseball, one week after I highlighted him as one of the early standouts of spring training for the Mariners, lefty reliever Rowena Salias had to leave a game after experiencing discomfort in his throwing arm, and yes, it is that kind of discomfort. Elias will have Tommy John surgery and miss all of the 2021 season, although reportedly, and we know the Mariners love their Tommy John comeback stories, They have already talked to him about a two-year deal that would keep him with the team through 2022 and give him a chance to come back then. Those are your headlines brought to you by FreeBets.us. Let's take a quick break now and be back with much more Seahawks talk on the Emerald City Sportscast. Here is a word from our title sponsor. Looking for a place of inspiration to record your next musical or vocal project? Why not do it in the middle of wine country? Hollywood and Vines Recording Studio is a four-room boutique recording studio in the heart of Woodenville Tourist District on Hollywood Hill. Within walking distance of over a hundred different wine, beer, and spirit tasting rooms, this peaceful setting offers a respite from the rat race of everything around it. The studio features 14-foot ceilings throughout and a large main tracking room, along with separate isolation rooms for drum tracking and vocals. Featuring a talented crew of freelance engineers and an impressive array of industry-leading equipment, my friends at Hollywood and Vine Studios can assist with your audio tracking, mixing, and mastering pursuits. To find out more or to book a session, email Kevin at hollywood-vines.com, call 206-235-8125, or visit hollywood-vines.com. All right, so we're going to check uh, Twitter throughout the show today because we certainly don't want to miss any potential breaking news. Officially, 1 o'clock Pacific time today is the start of the league year, but deals can be agreed to ahead of time. Um, A bunch of former Seahawks have been signing over the last couple of days. Of course, um, Carlos Hyde signing with the Jaguars, among others. Uh, Another former Seahawk finds a home today. The Dolphins have agreed to terms with cornerback Justin Coleman. Remember him? on a one-year deal worth up to $2.75 million. All right, so let's touch on this Wilson thing, and then, as I often like to do, I want to try to put it into context, okay? So again, if you're just joining me, or if you haven't heard, or if you refuse to hear, uh, Ryan Pace, general manager of the Bears, who's on the hot seat, needs to do something, Took a shot at Mitchell Trubisky four years ago. Uh, drafted him in front of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. That didn't uh, work out very well. They declined his fifth-year option, let him go to free agency. He's out there. Um, they have Nick Foles on the roster. He wanted to make a splash. And Russell Wilson had included the Bears on his list of four teams that he would approve a trade to. And now let's take quick stock of those teams. First of all, Dallas Cowboys re-signed Dak Prescott. 
they're out. New Orleans Saints re-signed Jameis Winston and restructured Taysom Hill's deal. Sean Payton says those two will have an open battle for the quarterback position. They also have a bunch of cap issues, had to release a bunch of players just to get under the cap. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, I don't know what they're doing, but four-fifths of their starting offensive line, everybody except Colton Miller, the first-round draft pick out of UCLA a couple years ago, gone, including shocking release yesterday of all-pro center Rodney Hudson. Uh, so four-fifths of their starting offensive line they let walk, including some good ones. Uh, plus, they still have Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota on the roster. Wilson isn't going there. Uh, and so that left the Bears. They were the team desperate enough. They were the team that reportedly, uh, it was reported last week, they were going to take their shot. And apparently they did in Fargo, North Dakota, of all places. I mean, that's that's where all the big moves in the NFL happen, right? Uh, the reason it happened there is because uh, John Schneider reportedly was at Trey Lance's pro day. And Ryan Pace was as well, or at least flew up there to meet with Schneider. Um, my first thought was, I wonder what dive bar they met at. Um, and did they have Georgetown Manny's Pale Ale on draft? Probably not. Anyway, the questions about this meeting go far beyond the Ian Rappaport report. What specifically was the offer? All Rappaport alluded to was that it included multiple first-round picks. Well, that's not going to get it done. The Bears picked 20th this year. Not high enough, likely, for the Seahawks to get in on those top four or five quarterbacks that might make a difference as a rookie and be able to carry the torch once once you trade a Russell Wilson. Um. And then if you trade Russell Wilson to the Bears, presumably they have a good defense and some other things going for him there. It's not going to be a very high draft pick over the next couple of years. Were there other players involved? Were there other picks involved? A second, a third? What exactly was the offer? We'll probably never know. How much was Schneider tempted? Rappaport said the Seahawks slept on it. So it had to at least be interesting enough to consider it or you know some of the reports we've heard about Seahawks taking phone calls uh, about Wilson's availability their answer has been quote unquote hell no um, so the offer from Pace had to at least be interesting enough for Schneider to say okay I'm going to take it back to Pete Chuck Arnold the guys with the Seahawks my staff we'll talk about it get back to you tomorrow And then, apparently, again, according to the report, Carol is the one that vetoed it. Wow. So, my first thought was, did Schneider want to do it? Does Schneider have the stomach to rebuild? Is that the direction he wants to go? Remember, a lot of people give Pete credit for finding Wilson, it was all Schneider. Schneider was kind of his passion project. He had to talk Pete into it. Pete's admitted that on the record. Some people lose sight of that. So it would it would make sense that Schneider is the guy that that would be the most upset with the way Wilson's kind of trying to hold the, the organization over a barrel. But then again, Pete has put a lot of stock in Wilson as well. There were all those stories four or five years ago, which have played out since then, 
to make it look like there was a lot of accuracy in those reports about Pete holding Wilson to a different standard, kind of going against his own tenets of always compete. The meeting where he pulled Richard Sherman and some of the leaders of that team aside and said, hey, take it easy on him. So Carroll's kind of gone out of his way to make sure that Wilson was taken care of. They've made him the highest paid player in the NFL twice. They got rid of all the alpha males that that kind of butted heads with Wilson, for lack of a better term. They made it his team. And then he goes out this offseason and, and basically throws the organization under the bus. I wonder, and again, if you haven't heard me say this before, I have it on good authority through a reliable source that after the Rams wild card loss, there was tension between Carol and Schneider. In fact, there was a shouting match within earshot of other staff members that included profanity. Schneider wasn't happy with the performance of the team, the game plan, the approach, the whole second half of the season, what happened to the offense, some of the personnel decisions that were made, guys that weren't playing. Daryl Taylor not being on the field was, was apparently involved in this little dust-up. So as much as, and I truly believe that Carolyn Schneider, tons of mutual respect, really like each other. It's always seemed to be a very effective pairing, but you wonder. You wonder now. And we'll get a little bit more into that later. We'll kind of bring it around full circle. Or was it simply that the Bears didn't have enough to offer, that they couldn't offer a path for the Seahawks to find a suitable replacement for Russell. Because it sure doesn't sound like they had the stomach to just start over. To go sign Andy Dalton themselves. We know that Schneider loved him in that draft the year before that they got Wilson. They considered drafting him there at the top of the second round. Or at the end of the first round. He went at the top of the second round. They drafted Uh, in the late 20s. Was it simply that with the 20th pick, they might miss out on all those guys? Justin Fields and Trey Lance and Mac Jones. There were reports the last couple weeks from multiple sources that Carroll likes Sam Darnold and that that could have been where they pivoted to. He's available. The Jets are probably going to take Tyler Wilson at two. Maybe Justin Fields, probably Wilson. Could get him for a second or a third round pick, maybe. It's possible. And here's the thing. People put so much stock into these reports. It, this is a little side note. It's possible that that's true, that they like Sam Darnold, but that they also didn't see him as a franchise quarterback. Okay. Now, are there teams out there who could have made this happen? Simply by the fact that the report is that Seahawks slept on this for a night, considered it. Tells me that the right trade might have tempted them, kind of urged them over the edge. But those teams weren't on Wilson's list of teams that his agent told ESPN he would accept a trade to. 
I think if Carolina or Miami had gone after this as hard as Chicago did, maybe we're talking about a deal today. Miami with third pick, Carolina at eight, I believe. Sounds now like Carolina is about to go all in on Deshaun Watson. Because with the eighth pick there in Carolina, Seahawks would have been in play for Fields or Lance or Mac Jones. Miami, certainly, if they were in play, and they were on that first list that was reported of destinations Russell would accept a trade to, then you could have been talking about Tua, Tonga Viola, coming back, potentially. This may not be over. It's mostly over, but it may not be. Because now the team has to respond. Okay, as of today, as of we sit here, now that we've seen Chicago do what they did, all those four teams are out. Rappaport's report makes all sorts of sense. And by the way, those of you who thought this was all BS, it was all a media-created clickbait scenario, I've been telling you for weeks on the show and on Twitter, this was real, okay? The Seahawks were disenchanted enough with Wilson that they explored this. And I believe there's a deal out there they would have accepted. This was real. When something like this comes from one source, like the Giants thing with Colin Coward a couple years ago, it's easy to brush off. It came from just about every really good, well-respected, legitimate NFL reporter had some sourcing on this story over the last couple of weeks. But now, today, as we sit here today, on March 17, 2021, the start of the 2021 NFL League year, Russell Wilson's a Seahawk, and it appears that we're moving forward. Cool. Better to have an elite quarterback than not. The decision or the discussion about whether it would be better or not to trade Wilson, we'll have many other times in the future. But what do you do now? Now you got to try to compete. Now you got to get back to the mission of trying not to waste Wilson's prime years. You made the first move this offseason by changing the offensive coordinator. The hire of Shane Waldron, widely praised. That offense most seem to think could be a perfect match for Russell Wilson. But Wilson's complaints about the offensive line, and particularly the interior offensive line, left guard and center, because we we have uh, all-rookie right guard Damian Lewis holding down that spot. Legitimate gripes. As I've said before, if he was out there saying, we need to go get Julio Jones, we need another weapon, we need another flashy piece to add the offense, I would have said, wrong. But he's right. Ethan Posick at center, played well the first half of the season, struggled second half after he came back from his injury. Don't know if that played a part or if it was just a league kind of figuring him out. Um, he's a free agent. Left guard Mike Potty retired. He was banged up and done anyway. Phil Haynes, fourth-round draft pick from a couple years ago, uh, has failed to stay healthy. Jamarco Jones has shown flashes. Maybe he's in the mix there. The team re-signed uh, or tendered Kyle Fuller. He can play center or guard. He might be in the mix. And the Seahawk thing to do would be to say, hey, we like the guys we have. 
And we think the scheme, new offensive line coach joining Mike Solari, uh, the scheme is going to make these guys better. We're going to get the ball out quicker. We're going to make it easier on the offensive line. But it sure looks like they're at least trying. Because Monday there were reports, ESPN report, first thing Monday morning, that the Seahawks were making a big push for Kevin Zeitler, former Cleveland Brown, former New York Giant, released in a salary cap move from the Giants. Now, he's a right guard. We'll get to that in a second. But they lost out on Zeitler. Then there were reports, Corbin Smith, who's been on the show here with us before from Seahawk Maven, said the Seahawks had thrown their hat into the Joe Thune ring. Best free agent guard available. He ends up signing with the Kansas City Chiefs. Corey Lindsley, best center available, former Packer, signs with the Chargers. Doesn't sound like the Seahawks were in on that at all. The only other reported offensive line interest so far, Brett Jones, veteran, center, guard, with the Vikings last year, never really been able to stay healthy, started his career in the Canadian League, not a difference maker at all. If if Brett Jones is the guy that they sign in this free agency period, it's just this year's version of B.J. Finney. Versatile backup type that if they hand a starting role, we're in trouble. Big news yesterday, though. As I mentioned, the Raiders continue to reshape their offensive line. Don't know what they're doing. Rodney Hudson, one of the best centers in the NFL, 32 years old, Former All-Pro. Wasn't able to confirm this today uh, on Pro Football Focus. He allowed one sack last year. According to Jake Heaps, though, he's only allowed three in his career. An outstanding center that the Seahawks weren't expecting to be available. Now he's available. Arizona is reportedly going to make a push. They made a big push for Corey Lindsley. Rodney Hudson is a guy that would move the needle in a big way. The Seahawks have an opportunity to check off that last thing that was reported to be on Wilson's checklist that he gave them when he met with Carolyn Schneider at the end of the season. One was he wanted a new offensive approach. Got it. He was involved in the Waldron hire. Two is he wanted more say in personnel. It sounds like they are involving him in some of these decisions. Three, he wanted a big-time addition on the offensive line. Not Brett Jones. Not bringing back Ethan Posick and letting Jamarco Jones and Phil Haynes compete at left guard. He wanted a big splash. The biggest splashes were made Monday. They were in on Zeitler, missed out. They were in on, reportedly, Thune, missed out. It sounds like their focus is on guard, but I wonder if Hudson changes that equation. And I think it's doable. So after the signings the Seahawks have made so far, according to Over the Cap, Uh, They have about $13.1 million in salary cap today. And remember, other than releasing Carlos Dunlap, they haven't done anything yet to clear cap space. And that's got some people concerned, me included. But I think the Seahawks, the way the Seahawks operate, as opposed to some of these other teams, rather than just clear all the books that you can and then dive into free agency, they, they take it day by day and... 
it's a fluid situation. They don't want to have to push future salary out if they don't have to. So consider this for a second. Corey Lindsley, the best free agent center available, just 28 years old, signs with the Chargers. Five years, $62.5 million guaranteed, average annual value of $12.5 million. $17 million fully guaranteed. There's an out after the first year. They could cut him next year if it doesn't work out, which I can't imagine. But there's an out where the, the it wouldn't be that painful. His first year cap number is only $6.6 million. Rodney Hudson's 32. And so he's, he's not going to get a five-year, $62.5 million deal. But Trent Williams is 32, 33, and just signed for... million today with the 49ers. Would you do the Corey Lindsley deal for Rodney Hudson? Again, I think Hudson will get slightly less because of his age. But would you do that? I would. And the Seahawks should. $6.6 million cap hit in the first year. If you want to make a splash, you want to make Wilson happy and legitimately improve that line. Because here's the thing. Their focus seems to be on guard. So what's the plan at center? Do they like Kyle Fuller that much? Are they bringing Ethan Posick back? Because if you draft a center, that's that's tough. That's tough, throwing a rookie in there at the pivot, having to make the calls, being the guy. It's been done. It's not ideal. Rodney Hudson's a guy that could change the game. And remember... I, I see it similar to the Dwayne Brown move of a few years ago, about the same age when we brought Brown in and he really transformed that line, really upgraded the left tackle position that was in flux. Russell Wilson at the time redid his deal slightly to create a little cap space so they could bring Brown in. They haven't done anything yet with Wilson's deal. But now that the trade talks seem to be settled and, and he's their guy, maybe now they feel a little more comfortable doing that. They don't have to ask Wilson to convert signing or salary as signing bonus. Clear some cap space. Would they do it for Rodney Hudson? It'd be interesting. He was set to make $13.6 million this year and, again, only allowed three sacks in his career. He's a big one out there. Other centers available still who could move the needle, who would be a clear upgrade over Ethan Posick. David Andrews. Sounds like he was negotiating with the New England Patriots until yesterday. Turned down their last offer. Says he's going to test free agency. Good, solid center. Austin Blythe. I've talked about him on the show. He's part of my offseason plan. Talked about him last week. Good, solid center. Really came into his own last year after moving over from guard. Played for the Rams for the last three years. Would be a really good transitional center to give some continuity, and help install that offense. Uh, Nick Martin of the Texans is a highly paid center, former second-round draft pick, but his PFF grades weren't even quite as good as Ethan Posick's. But their focus doesn't seem to be on center because they didn't take a shot at Lindsley. Does that mean they have other ideas? There's been talk of moving Damian Lewis to center. Played it for one game last year when Fuller and Posick were both hurt. Did pretty well considering he's never played the position. 
again, maybe they, maybe they like the draft class. But let's look at some guards that are still available too, just in case that's that's the plan. Maybe they already have an idea they're going to bring Posick back or they like Kyle Fuller, so they're focusing on guard. Left guard, there's really only one out there that really intrigues me, and that's Forrest Lamp. I've talked about him. The former second-round pick battled injuries his first three years. Played all 16 games for the Chargers last year. Not Pro Bowl level, but the guy's upside has always been there. He's always had a high ceiling coming out of Western Kentucky. Seahawks liked him in that draft process. He's really the only true left guard. But as I mentioned before, Kevin Zeitler played right guard, and they went hard after him. He was their first priority, it sounds like. And so the idea, again, has been bridged of, what if you sign a guy that's more natural at right guard, you can move Damian Lewis to left guard, if they feel like he can do that. Right guard really opens up some possibilities. Trey Turner, released by the Chargers. Gabe Jackson, released by the Raiders. John Feliciano, former Bill. And here's one. Remember Larry Warford? Former Saint, three-time Pro Bowler. Opted out last year because of COVID. So he's a free agent. Haven't heard him discussed anywhere. Under the radar. Maybe he's going to retire. He's made some good money. He's 29 years old. 29 years old and coming off a, a season if he's kept himself in shape. No wear and tear. Keep your eye on Larry Warford. He's an interesting candidate for me. Now, let's talk about running back because the question has come up. Reportedly, Leonard Fournette is weighing his options. Return to Tampa, go to New England, come to Seattle. There may be other offers, but those reportedly are the three that he's weighing the most heavily. And to me, Seattle would make the most sense for him. He can go back to Tampa Bay, but the money probably isn't as good there. They've done a nice job bringing everybody back. They're going to be the overwhelming favorite probably to win the Super Bowl again or at least win the NFC. But they've they've got some other things. Got Ronald Jones. They drafted Vaughn in the third round last year. They've been uh, connected to James White, who's a free agent, so they may already think they're they're looking elsewhere. If I'm a running back, I'm not looking at New England. There's reports today that they're also interested in Chris Carson. They've never, well, not never, but it's been a long, long time since they've featured a running back. Right? I mean, they drafted Sony Michelle in the early second round a couple of years ago and never featured him. You know, it varies week to week. If you're a fantasy football player, you certainly know New England's penchant for not not being consistent with their touches in the in the backfield. If I'm Leonard Fournette, I want to go to Seattle. Because they're on the record as stating we want to run the football. And you know, competition-wise, Rashad Penny, I think it'd be a nice little combo. Penny becomes more of a change of pace. But Leonard Fournette. People have asked, fans have asked, why? Why would he be better than Carson? Just bring Carson back. First of all, I think Carson's going to make some more money on the open market. You know, Fournette was a free agent last year, and all he was able to find on the market, granted it was during the season, was $2 million from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, It was right at the beginning of the season, actually, but teams had committed their cap and whatnot. 
Leonard Fournette, great rookie year. Outstanding year last year with the Bucks. Catches the ball really well. One season, I think he had 79 catches. Runs hard. I th- he seems like a guy to me that I actually thought maybe the Seahawks would be interested in signing him last year. Seems like a Pete Carroll kind of guy that maybe found himself a little bit last year. Remember, this guy, when he was at LSU, they were talking about he should sit out his sophomore year until he's draft eligible, go out early, not risk injury, could be one of the all-time greats. Hasn't quite been that, but just 26 years old. uh, Really anxious to see a decision, um, hopefully forthcoming, from Fournette. Let's take a little Twitter check. And nothing. Except our, our friend Rob Staten, who was on, on the show recently, uh, saying that uh, Adam Schefter report, uh, apparently reporting that uh, Russell Wilson could still be traded before the draft. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's just not focus on that today, shall we? Now, let's look at the Akello Witherspoon signing. Of course, Shaquille Griffin signs with the Jaguars. Big money, three years, essentially $45 million, potentially. Shaquem Griffin hasn't been officially announced yet, but it sounds like a package deal. He's going to sign with the Jaguars as well. Uh, Side note, Shaquem Griffin was woefully underutilized as as a Seahawk. Um, Clearly the last season and a half since they gave him a chance to rush from the edge uh, really made an impact when he was in there. But they only used him when everybody else was hurt. I, I never understood. It was a big frustration of mine that the Seahawks weren't more proactive in kind of throwing some curveballs in their game plan at the opponents. There were games when the the pass rush was struggling, and it seemed like, God, you throw Shaq in there, let him rush off the edge once in a while. It just didn't see much of that. It'd be really fun to see him blossom in Jacksonville. Meanwhile, Shaquille Griffin, I know Seahawks fans are frustrated they didn't let him go, and again, it's another failure of the Seahawks regime to retain one of their own homegrown players. Shaquille Griffin drafted in the third round. Good player, had some injury issues, never really got over that hump and became a true lockdown corner, but he was their best corner. And they didn't manage it properly financially. Could have extended him maybe earlier. Could have managed the cap this year so they could have afforded this deal. He's got a chance to to really take the next step in Jacksonville next to C.J. Henderson, their first-round draft pick from a year ago. Nice little young tandem of corners there for Jacksonville who's made some really interesting moves. Uh, Witherspoon came out in that same draft, was taken about 20 spots ahead of the Seahawks. Seahawks met with him pre-draft, liked him. He's a Seahawky corner, 6'3", 200 pounds, long arms. He might have been the pick. If he was still there on the board, they might have had him higher on their draft board than Shaquille Griffin. One year, $4 million. Uh, Graded out as uh, top five in coverage last year when he was on the field for the 49ers among NFL corners. Problem is, hasn't been on the field consistently enough. Has had some injury issues, and when he's been healthy, very inconsistent. He'll look great one game, and then he'll look like a liability the next. But a guy that's still in his mid-20s, Fits that Seahawk mold to go along with J.R. Reed, who's a smaller corner, so you can match up with the big receivers. If they can keep him healthy, he's certainly familiar with the scheme, playing for Robert Sala in San Francisco, certainly familiar with the techniques that Pete Carroll teaches his, his corners. 
because he played alongside Richard Sherman in San Francisco and played for Sala. So really interesting. I, I like this pick. Are they done at corner? They better not be. I still like the idea of bringing Quentin Dunbar back if that knee is healthy or adding some more competition. Still like the idea of Kevin King. Wonder if you could get him on a similar deal. Now, the Seahawks can still clear more cap space. A uh, few ways that they can do this. They can extend Jaron Reed. $14 million cap hit this year. Last year of his deal. Had another good season last year. Mid-20s. Good all-round defensive tackle. Not a lot of depth there for the Seahawks. You could lower that cap hit significantly and, and extend him, keep him around for a few more years. He wants to stay, and I think the team wants to keep him. That would make a lot of sense. You could extend Dwayne Brown. $13.3 million cap hit this year, last year of his deal. He's 36 now. They have to manage those knees. No first-round pick next year to address left tackle. Would love to see him make a move for Eric Fisher, give him a year to rehab, but if the team feels confident that Brown physically could hold up for a couple more seasons, maybe into his year 38 season, you could extend him for a couple of years. Jamal Adams, of course, we haven't even gotten into that yet this offseason, but his cap hit about $10 million this year. Last year of his deal, you could lower that significantly in the first year by giving him a big extension. Quandre Diggs, $6.2 million cap hit last year of his deal. Made the Pro Bowl last year. Really fits that defense as a free safety. You could extend him. Brandon Shell. Don't know how much you could really drop Shell's $5.3 million cap hit. But again, last year of his deal, he played really well last year at right tackle. And with lack of draft capital, keeping a, a good youngish right tackle around for a couple more years wouldn't be such a bad idea. But with $13.1 million in cap space free, uh, the Seahawks could sign Hudson today, depending on the structure of the contract. But they would need to do more to do more. And there are other needs. Running back, we'll see about Fournette. Tight end, we have seen reports the Seahawks have been linked to just about every tight end out there. They were interested in Jonu Smith. He signed with New England along with every other free agent. <laughs> um, they could use another corner, as I said, and they need another edge player. They cut Carlos Dunlap because of because of salary cap considerations. But, and this is the gamble they were taking. We talked about it last week, and I think it was sound. It was a sound process. So much edge talent still out there available. And even the top edge guys, Yannick Ngakwe, Matt Judon, these guys are getting $13, $14, $15 million a year, not $18, $19, $20. Not the money Jadevi and Clowney thought he was going to get last year. That market's not there. Here's just a sampling of the edge players still out there. Alden Smith, we know the Seahawks tried to trade for him at the deadline last year from the Cowboys. Melvin Ingram would be an interesting piece. They could bring Dunlap back in a much lower number. I think he lost that gamble on himself. Ryan Kerrigan would be an interesting vet to add. Romeo Aquara might be the best young edge player still out there. Solomon Thomas, former top five pick of the 49ers, just five years into his career. Two-way player, inside-outside, could be interesting. Hassan Reddick had the big breakout year for the Cardinals last year. Could bring Benson Mayoa back for some depth. Remember, Daryl Taylor's going to be healthy this year. And do you revisit Jadevian Clowney? His number might be down even more this year with the market what it is and coming off another year where he had some injury issues. There are some big bargains still out there. Bottom line is this. Offensive line have to add one slam-dunk good player in free agency. That's what I believe have to do that. 
the rest of the positions, waiting out the market, doing the Seahawk thing is the right thing to do because the market dictates it. Okay, let's get back into this Wilson thing and examine what it might say about where the brain trust of the Seahawks is at these days. I touched on it before. Are Pete Carroll and John Schneider on the same page? What might it mean for the long-term future of the Seahawks? My thoughts on that after the break. If you're like me, you love animals. I mean, you love animals. And if you're looking to add a new furry friend to your family, the best way to show your love is by supporting No-Kill Animal Adoption Centers. And the best way to do that is by checking out nokillnetwork.org. The volunteers at No-Kill Network seek not only to support No-Kill Adoption Centers, but help make a change by working with all animal shelters to change their policies and make sure every pet has the chance to find their human. And with the COVID pandemic, many of these shelters are full and these pets need you. So check out nokillnetwork.org for a list of no-kill shelters near you. And there's even a handy adoption pet finder tool you can use to help you find your next best friend. That's nokillnetwork.org. Online gamers, have you checked out PSX Extreme? If not, you're missing out. PSX Extreme is a cutting-edge gaming website providing you with everything you need to know about the latest and greatest games. You'll find up-to-the-minute news about the gaming industry as well as in-depth reviews of all the coolest games. The writing staff at PSX Extreme will also keep you informed on all the rumors about new games in development and impending releases. So if you can put down the controller just for a second, do yourself a favor and check out PSXExtreme.com. You're listening to the Emerald City Sportscast, presented by Hollywood and Vine's Recording Studio. And now, here's Dan. Just check Twitter again as we are on the verge of the official beginning of the uh, NFL League year this year. No big news breaking at this time. No decision yet from Leonard Fournette. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more about this Carroll and Schneider thing and how this report today that John Schneider and Ryan Pace of the Chicago Bears met in person in Fargo, North Dakota after Trey Lance's pro day and discussed potential trade scenarios. A firm offer was made from the Bears involving, according to Ian Rappaport, a very aggressive trade offer that included multiple first-round picks. Uh, Schneider took it back to the Seahawks. They slept on it, informed the Bears yesterday morning they would not be trading Wilson, according to Adam Schefter just now on ESPN. At this time, is what they told the Bears. Uh, And then the Bears immediately pivoted and signed Andy Dalton to be their starter this year, gave him $10 million with a chance to earn $12 million. What does this say about the hierarchy the flow chart, if you will, the brain trust, the Seahawks, where they're at and where this thing is headed in the future. Because it's not, as much as fans would like to believe, the report today and where we're at doesn't mean, okay, that's it, it's over. Russell's here, we can stop even, stop the conjecture. He's here for good long term, he's going to be our quarterback for the rest of his career. That's, that's not the case. So Pete Carroll and John Schneider both signed extensions. Carroll's was announced during the season, Schneider's in late January. 
Carroll signed through the 2025 season. Schneider through the 2026 season. I thought this was interesting that the the team when they made their official announcement officially framed it as he's committed to the team through the 2027 draft. Which again, interesting. Um, not very often does a GM on his way out stay through the draft and then move on do something else. Anyway, Schneider. And again, this comes from a source of mine that that has a connection to the front office. Schneider's mindset is always uh, to play the long game. Now, this may strike some of you as surprising because some of the trades he's made, Percy Harvin, Jimmy Graham, uh, Jamal Adams, might seem to indicate that that he's a little bit more reactionary and more interested in short-term game. But as far as his own career goes, he's playing the long game. Detroit Lions made a huge run at him, apparently, through back channels. Wanted to hand him a lot of power in Detroit. He had no interest in that job. He would rather stay here, I think. I've wondered this for a long time. I thought it was going to happen maybe with the last contract. But indeed, Carroll signed the long extension. I think Schneider wants to stay in Seattle until it's his ship to run. Wants to be here longer than Carroll. Based on their current contracts, that would seem to be the case. Hard to imagine Carroll wanting to sign an extension beyond 2025. He'd be 74 years old then. Wilson is signed through 2023. So something is going to happen. There's going to reach a breaking point. At some point. So here's here's some potential short-term scenarios for 2021 that could affect this situation. A, it's still possible, and Adam Schefter seems to have alluded to this this morning on ESPN, that it's possible Wilson doesn't like what happens in free agency in the draft. We don't get an interior offensive lineman that moves the needle. We don't improve that unit to his liking. Maybe he and Waldron aren't on the same page. He could still push for a trade before the season starts. But there's likely not a team that would fit at that point, especially after the draft. Now, Schefter again this morning saying they could still trade him before the draft. I haven't dug into that report yet because I've been on the air, but it sounds like Schefter just conjecturing, not wanting to close the door on that. But they're they're may not be a team out there that fits now. So I'm going to say it's 99% that Wilson stays a Seahawk in 2021. B, he and Waldron could click. The offense is the perfect thing for him. It's effective. The team's competitive. If all those boxes are checked, this thing could be fixed, and he could be here at least through his contract year in 2023. If not, the season's messy, if it falls short of expectations, the offense doesn't work, Wilson doesn't play well, uh, trade talks will heat up again next year. That that goes without saying. Next year, it would be a $26 million dead cap hit to trade him, but a $15 million net, there'd be an $11 million cap savings. So it'd be a $15 million hit. And we'll talk about what the cap looks like for next year in a minute. 
In any event, to me personally, it's very hard to see Wilson staying here beyond 2023. I've said it for a long time. Don't think he's going to age well. And at that point, does Carroll then, two years away from the end of his contract, want to start another rebuild? It is possible that if things are going well in 2023, Carroll being in charge as he is, knowing he has two years left on his deal, could give Wilson another market-setting contract. Would would Carroll want to sign another extension at the age of 74? Would the team want to do that? Don't know. Meanwhile, around them in the NFC West, things are not getting easier. Okay, and you have to take this into consideration. This is the reason the Mariners chose to rebuild in 2018. It wasn't just because they felt like they were stuck. It was even if they went out and made a couple moves and improved in the offseason, they weren't going to catch the Astros. They weren't going to catch the A's. But they looked at some some things coming up for the Astros, some challenges they were going to have keeping players. Same with the A's. They thought, let's step back now, try to shoot for three, four years from now, and catch them on the way down. That seems to be going well for them. Seahawks have to be looking at what's happening in the division around them. The Rams, they get Matt Stafford. Even players on the Rams believe he's an upgrade over Jared Goff. They've restructured a bunch of guys to keep their core around. They've pushed some of that into the future. It's going to catch them at some point. But for now, they're going to be very good for a couple seasons. Maybe the best defense in the league. And they've improved at quarterback. Outstanding young running back and Cam Akers. Great receivers, weapons on the outside. Maybe the best team in the division. San Francisco, very good. They're going to bounce back. Outstanding defense. They get Joey Bosa back. They got some work to do in the secondary. Great offensive line. Trent Williams signs the huge monster contract today. They reportedly also are going to add Alex Mack, 35 years old, but a veteran, outstanding, multi-Pro Bowl center in the middle. And it sounds like they're positioning themselves to take a young quarterback. If they were truly committed to Jimmy Garoppolo, they would have restructured his deal. They would have done some of those things. I think they're going to make a move, try to trade up, get one of those young QBs. San Francisco is going to be scary. Arizona, jury's still out. They added J.J. Watt. Don't know if that was really a priority for them. That money could have been spent better elsewhere, I think. Their window may be closing soon. Only $14 million in cap space. They're about where the Seahawks are right now, but they're going to have to pay Kyler Murray soon. Arguably, arguably right now, the Seahawks have the third best roster in the division even with Russell Wilson on it. Can they make up that ground with only four picks this year, no first, and their philosophy of playing it safe in free agency? They're so confident in their approach. And I think their confidence is is rooted in a couple different things. Carroll's ability to motivate. I think they're confident in the new scheme. I think they're confident in the in in the effect the crowd returning to Lumen Field is going to have. Check out their 2021 schedule. Of course, they play the division home and away. Home schedule. Well, let's look at the road schedule first. Packers, that's going to be tough. Vikings, don't know. Colts, we'll see how uh, we'll see how the quarterback works out. Texans, Washington football team added Ryan Fitzpatrick yesterday. They're going to be tough. It's a tough road schedule. Home schedule, though, Bears, Lions, Jags, Saints in transition, Titans. The way they're acting, 
I've been trying to put my finger on this. By being conservative this offseason, by not going out, and, and we may never know what their offer for Kevin Zeitler was, how seriously they pushed for Thune. Were they $10 million away? Were they a million dollars away? By not being more aggressive to get one of those guys, and admittedly still a lot of time to make something happen, the way they're acting, one of two scenarios, and this is what I'm going to leave you with today. 2022, right now, according to Over the Cap, they have $116 million of available cap space. $86 million committed um, to like 13 or 14 players against a projected $202 million cap. Now, there have been people connected to the league that believe the cap next year might go much higher than that, as high as 220 based on some new TV deals and some bounce-back revenue getting back to having fans in the stands this year. So it could be $130 million in available cap space next year. Now, if they do some of these extensions we're talking about to free up space this year, some of that will be eaten up. But they're going to have a lot of flexibility next year. Two potential scenarios that you could maybe infer by the way the Seahawks are acting. A, the team knows it's in an uphill battle in their division in 2021. They're trying to be as prudent as possible. Still try to be competitive. Try to find lightning in a bottle with a couple players. But not be aggressive in pushing the financial rock down the road. So they can be aggressive in 2022 in making a big, big move to catch those teams. Or, I threw this out on Twitter the other day and surprisingly got quite a bit of agreement from some people. They're kind of acting like a team that has the idea of a rebuild in their back pocket. That knows that if this thing doesn't work this, this year, doesn't go well, doesn't go swimmingly well, that they might have to trade Russell Wilson and do a bit of a step back or a rebuild next year. And they want to save all that cap space. We'll see. A lot can still happen over the next couple of days. We hope that it does happen. If it does, any big moves, I'll hop on, I'll hop on do a special report. And certainly we'll have a lot more to talk about next week. I'm also going to be appearing on the Seahawks Playbook podcast next week with Bill Alfstad and Keith Myers. Check that out. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Twitter. Nothing big happening during the show, but we could see a lot of moves later today and tomorrow. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever for all my thoughts and retweets and updates on all that kind of stuff. Until then, stay safe out there and remember, those who think they can, those who think they can't are both right. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm Dan Viennes. We'll see you next week, all right? like to thank some contributors to the show, Alex Morietti, Kevin Jablonski, 
Jordan Van Beek. Check out his Twitch stream on twitch.com slash geekbeek. Eric Briggs for his contributions. Thank you all for listening. You can catch these episodes as a podcast on all the major podcast platforms. And, of course, you can listen to it on the 365 Sportscast Network, 365sportscast.com, or you can download the app for your Android and iPhones. I'll be back next week, 10 o'clock Pacific time, 1 o'clock Eastern, for the next episode of the Emerald City Sportscast. Thanks again for listening.